Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I am your host. Jacob Sersosimo, and today you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The Olympics, it starts this week. We are getting ready and gearing up for what could be a golden slam in the sport of tennis, and the one person that can do it is playing in the Olympics, and there's a lot of other good players playing in the Olympics. Although there are a lot of really good players and really big names not playing in the Olympics, which I think we've touched on enough in in past podcasts, but we're going to really get into who's playing in the Olympics, what we have to look forward to, what exactly is going to be going on, and we will move on from there. Now, according to the Olympics website, it looks like match play or things will start getting going on Saturday the 24th, um, but there's not really a whole lot of information out there right now as according to who's going to be playing when, where they're going to be playing. I have seen the center court out at uh, at Tokyo, and it is pretty impressive. I would recommend checking out that on Twitter. I think I retweeted it. It, it looks really cool. It's kind of sad, though, that there's not going to be any fans there, and I worry that they built that court for fans, and there's literally going to be no fans there. Um, kind of sad. Let's go through who's playing in the Olympics this year. No Federer, no Rafa. Know a lot of players, but there are some players that are playing in it. And I'm just going to run down the players that are in it and name some names that I think are going to, you know, make a splash in this tournament. Diego Schwartzman will be in the Olympics for Argentina. Uh, Felix Ogier Aliasim announced he will also be playing for Canada. And then let's take a little bit of a look at the Frenchman. It'll be Hugo Humpert. Gael Monfils will also be playing for France, uh, Struff will be playing for Germany, as long as Kohlschreiber and Zverev, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Andy Murray looks to be playing for Great Britain. Sitsipas is there for Greece. Italy's got a stacked team. Berrettini, Fanini, we got Musetti and Sanego, or Sanago, I believe that's how he says it. Uh, Hercoc, who just had a great Wimbledon, he'll be there for Poland. Um, we'll take a look at Medvedev, Rublev, Hachinov, Karatsev. We'll be there for Russia, Serbia. That'll be Novak Djokovic, obviously. Karina Busta for Spain, who's had a pretty good year. Um, and then you look at the American team, which is Tiafo and Sandgren and Paul and Guerin. So a lot of big names in it. I do expect Novak Djokovic to win this tournament. I think the only person that could really stop him would probably be one of the Russians, I think, which would be... Medvedev, or it would be Rublev, or I don't think Karatsev or Hachinov, but I think one of those two players could do it. Sverev's also there. Sitsipas is also there. So although there's a lot of players not playing in the Olympics and a lot of big names not playing in the Olympics, there still are some dangerous players that could make a run towards Novak Djokovic. And I think if anybody's going to do it, it's got to be one of the big name players. I don't think there's going to be just someone come out of nowhere and end up beating Novak Djokovic, I just don't think that's going to be the case because I don't think there's anybody that has near the skill level that Novak Djokovic does right now. And I think he wants it more. Now, Novak said on Twitter the other day that he's strictly in Tokyo 
for pride of his country. And that's what really pushed him to get to Tokyo. He says, it came down to patriotism and my feelings towards Serbia. Um, he said he doesn't love the idea of playing without fans, which I think everybody could have expected, um, but he just couldn't miss the event. Now, he is going to play some mixed doubles. Doesn't look like he's going to play men's doubles. And he's going to play some, you know, obviously the singles part. But I think creeping in the back of his mind now, the decision was easier when you see that there is a possibility for a Golden Slam. I think now that he's won the, the first three majors of the year, this decision was a little bit easier because now he's in a position to do something that is absolutely historic. And when I say absolutely historic, I mean... This would be unbelievable to get the Golden Slam, to win the Olympics and then go on and win the U.S. Open. And you can't get it unless you win the Olympics. And to be honest, what what does it hurt? Because if you lose the Olympics, you still have a chance for a calendar slam. So it almost seems as a like, why not? Why wouldn't you play this tournament? And I think a lot of people saw that for Novak. And I think a lot of people already knew he was probably going to play in this tournament anyway. Let's look at some teams that could really do some damage in this tournament. Um, there's about three teams, and then I'll get to the U.S. team, which I think I've already talked about on this podcast. But let, there's about three teams that could really, really do some damage in this tournament. First, let's start with Germany. They have Kopfer, they have Kohlschreiber, they have Struff, and they have Sverev. Four solid, solid players that have all been very established on the tour. And I think when they play together as a team, they could be even better, led by, obviously, Alexander Sverev, and it's just a solid team. I think sometimes you don't want too many big names on a team because you worry, you know, does ego get in the way? How do they feel? And I think this is just the right amount of just dudes. I, I don't know how else to say it, but Cole Schreiber played well at Wimbledon. Sverev's obviously really good. Struff obviously beat Medvedev, I think, on on uh, grass this year already, and then Kotfer seems like a solid, so... You need guys like Kopfer on that team. You need guys that aren't necessarily always in the spotlight and really want to do something at the games. And so this is kind of their chance to really make a run. Talk about this Italian team, Berrettini, who just made the finals in Wimbledon. And then you got Lorenzo Musetti uh, and Lorenzo Sanigo, who are both youngsters that have been really good lately this year. And then Fabio Fognini, who is like the veteran of the squad. It's Fonini. I mean, he's entertaining. He's fun to be on. And I think he's going to bring that nice veteran feel to these younger players on this team, as well as keep it light and fluffy because they are there to have fun. It is the Olympics. It is fun, right? And Berrettini coming off a great showing in London, this team is going to be awfully dangerous. But let me tell you about this Russian team. Uh, Aslan Karatsev, Karen Hachinov, who just made a run to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Daniil Medvedev and Andre Rublev. These are four dynamic players. And I think over the last year or so on this podcast, I've talked about how good Russian tennis is right now. And for all four of these dudes to decide to play in the Olympics, this is an absolute danger team. This is the best team in my eyes in the Olympics. Four unbelievable players from Russia and these are like top 20 players right now. All, all four of them. One's number like two in the world, which would be Mevrev. Rublev's a top 10. Hachinov's a top 20, I think. And Karatsev's really powering onto the scene right now. I don't know why this team couldn't win it. I don't know why this team couldn't have a really good showing. I expect them to. This Russian team, I am a massive, massive fan of 
this year in the Olympics. And I cannot wait to watch this Russian team play. I think they're going to have really good team camaraderie. I think they're probably one of the closest teams there because Medvedev and Rublev are really good friends. And then Karatsev, I believe one of them has played with him in a tournament within the last year or so. And then Hachinov is, you know, a fun guy to be around, it seems like. So I don't know why this team couldn't be really dangerous. I don't know why this team couldn't um, be the talk of the tournament. There's no reason this team shouldn't be the talk of the tournament. And I expect them to. Now let's run through the women's side real quick of who is playing in this year's Olympic Games. Now I just have some seeds for you. Barty's in it. Um, Osaka, Sabalenka, Svitolina, Pliskova, Swiatek, uh, Muguruza. And then you go down, it's uh, Kvitova's in it, Brady's in it, Merton's in it, uh, Burton's is in it, Sakari. A really solid women's side of the Olympics. Obviously, no Coco Goff. Obviously, no Serena Williams. But I think Osaka coming back, and this is her first tournament since leaving the French Open. And then Barty coming off that win at Wimbledon. Uh, the women's side is going to probably... I I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's going to be more entertaining to watch than the men's side. Because uh, the men's side, I think, is going to be a lot of... I don't want to say no names, but the massive names in the tennis world aren't necessarily playing on the men's side. On the women's side, there are a lot of massive names playing, and Osaka is back in the draw, back in a draw, back playing tennis. And I think people are going to be really drawn to watching her play tennis, and they should be, because it's Naomi Osaka. Why wouldn't you be? But if I'm going to pick winners for the women's side right now, I'd love to pick Naomi Osaka. I just don't know if she can do it. Um, I'm, But because, just be, simply because she hasn't played in a while. That's the only reason. She has a skill level. And she has the experience. I just don't know if... Uh, and and there's a lot of pressure on Naomi Osaka at this tournament because she is Japanese. And this is her home tournament. And this is her first tournament back. So there's going to be a lot of storylines, a lot of pressure. And I know she's coming back from um, her mental health break. So I just hope she's, one, okay. And two, it's just a good environment for her, really. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm only saying this because... I, th I think it can just be hard to come off a mental health break into one of the biggest tournaments um, ever, which is the Olympics. Um, but I'm going to pick Osaka to win this. If she doesn't win it, I really think Sabalenka can win this. She was two-seed at Wimbledon. She lost in the semis, um, made a really good run. I think she has a little chip on her shoulder, and sometimes at the Olympics, some weird things can happen. On the men's side, uh, Novak Djokovic, probably. Uh, I don't know who else to pick, really, because Novak Djokovic seems to be it. And I don't know why I wouldn't pick him. Um, it's definitely, I, do, I hate to say this because I'm an American, but I don't think it's going to be any, anybody from the American team. The American team is Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, Marcos Guerin, Tennis Sandgren. I think they'll have an okay um, run. I think they'll you know keep people entertained. But for, on the team side, I think Russia wins it on the men's side. I think Novak Djokovic can win it. And I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated on Twitter and how things are going over there in Tokyo. I'm really excited for the Olympics. I think they're one of the best sporting events um, in, in I'm, I don't want to say every four years, but I think they're the best, one of the best sporting events ever. And the way that's put on and the way it's a couple weeks long, and it's just a different feel, especially for tennis players. And so I'm really excited to watch tennis in the Olympics. And with the possibility of a golden slam on the men's side and with the return of Naomi Osaka in her home country on the women's side, I don't think there's any better storyline in any other sport. And I cannot wait till we get it started over there in Tokyo. Now let's move on a little bit. I told you that I would talk about the PTPA, 
which is a players association that is being started by Novak Djokovic. Uh, I want to get into a few things about this. Novak Djokovic and Pospisil. Now, there's a few things that have kind of stemmed from this, and it's overly dramatic, but I'm still going to get into it a little bit. So pretty much what's going on is there's a professional tennis players association that's created by Novak Djokovic and Vasek Pospisil um, that is really looking to push the actual player association by the ATP. And I'm no, I'm no expert in this. I want to let you know right off the bat, I'm no expert in what is going on with these two players association. I'm only seeing what's from the outside. I'm only really seeing um, a lot of tweets from both sides, and I'm going to get into this a little bit, but I feel like there's a lot of fishy business um, in the middle, and there's a lot of just like weird like rules and things going on that I don't know about necessarily. I think that's when you get into the real deep dive of tennis. And so pretty much what it is is they said, this is our advisory board. We're for the players. We're going to be all about the players. Um, they say, quote, you know, we are working toward growth to help all players, not just the top 100, to make sustainable livelihoods and have their rights protected on and off the court from top to bottom. We must see our collective voices and help players today and tomorrow. And then it says, first and foremost, the PTPA is a player's movement. It wants to work with all the tennis governing bodies to inspire collective reform to better the sport. I think a lot of this has to do with pay. And let me get into this right off the bat. Remember Medvedev was mad. I believe it was at the French Open where he's like, you know, we're, we're talking about these fans. We let fans in. We're talking about these fans. And we're getting paid less. So they're letting fans in. We're getting paid less. He was upset about that. There was a couple other things where, you know, some of the top players were getting paid more. And let me just jump right into that. So this Novak Djokovic thing comes out, right? And this has been a problem for, you know, years, but this last year, especially during the pandemic, Novak Djokovic came out, Vasek Pospisil came out, and there's a whole thing about it, right? How they wanted to start their own players union. So let me jump to a tweet that was sent out by Daniel Valverdu. Now, Daniel Valverdu is a tennis coach. He's a you know he's ATP coach. Fan experiences up there. It looks like he's a University of Miami alumni. Cool dude. All right. So I don't know what exactly this guy's role is, but I believe he's with the actual players union of the ATP tour. Listen, this is what he says. He goes, I would like to express my disappointment with the PTPA. Uh, they're disruptive and undermining public messages towards the players council and the ATP. I am an advocate for strong, sustainable player representation, which I firmly believe the player council and player board deliver. Easy to condemn and undermine when watching from the outside with absolutely zero intention to create dialogue over the last year to educate and inform themselves about the concerns some players might have. The fact that the PTPA has the audacity to describe the future plans of the ATP as a backroom deal with no player input, I find ignorant and insulting to players who spent hours, days, weeks, and months discussing the plan and defending the defending the players best interest the ptpa's accusations and assumptions couldn't be further from the truth i hope there are no hidden personal agendas apart from representing their supporters to all the players confused with all the disruptive information by the ptpa 
I just want to say the player council has your best interests. And of course, there is room for improvement, but the ATP structure is sustainable and protects not only you, but your future generations. So this is what this Daniel dude says. A guy replies to this tweet. A couple savage modes happen in this tweet, okay? So a guy replies to this tweet and goes, well, here's the players saying just that, that the players, especially lower ranked, know that they aren't being supported and or that the current system favors tournaments and results and no real change. Often soulmates or stalemates, the CEO has to break. It says prize money 2021. We have introduced several tiers to tournaments in regards to prize money reduction and the restriction of fans due to the pandemic. Now it says the council, which I believe would be the ATP council, says the council voted and was in favor to change the distribution of prize money, slightly decreasing the money earned in qualifying in earlier rounds and increasing money in the later rounds. This was a player request. By who? Novak Djokovic doesn't need to make any more money in the later rounds. The qualifying players need to. And I think this really came to light during the pandemic when they were going to make like a fund for all the players that were lower ranked players and didn't get as much money. And so they're like, hey, we need to get these players money because they can barely afford to live because they're not playing right now. And here, here you have Novak Djokovic sitting with like $150 million of one money. Now I get it's a player's game. And you have to play to win and you have to win to make money. I get that. But I think it's a challenge among players, especially younger players that are trying to make it on the tour, players that just haven't made their big break or a break for that matter, to really make money. And this tweet that I just read to you that said, you know, the prize money part, the council voted and was in favor of change, that was sent out by... I believe a player, uh, Gastio Elias. Uh, he says, thanks, ATP. I'm sure this was the request of the players. Which players, by the way? And then he says, and people still get surprised that Djokovic created another players association. So it seems like who's in these meetings, right? And I think that's the biggest concern, or it seems to be a big concern of Novak Djokovic and Pospisil is who's in all these meetings making all these decisions? And I think it's really hard because who's at the top of those decisions are could be the Grand Slams. It could be the governing body, the ATP, which is just a giant business. And jo I think Djokovic might be looking at it like, dude, we got so much money. I'm getting paid so much money to win these tournaments. Why don't you take like 5% off of that at the top? And then you can pay all these qualifiers enough to actually make a living wage when they're traveling the world. That's my out outlook on it. I don't know if that's actually true. That could not be anything of what he's saying, but I'm looking at it from the outside thinking sometimes it seems like these qualifying players and some of these younger players aren't making like any money. Then you look at the top and it's all glorious for these big players. And I think a thing about tennis especially is the sport can be deceiving. When you look at Roger Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, all these big names, they have full teams that travel with them. A lot of players that play on the tour travel by themselves or with a coach and they can't afford a lot of things. And I think that gets really undermined when it comes to the sport of tennis. There's no guaranteed money. There is no guaranteed money. So I think a lot of players kind of get stuck and can't afford a lot of things. But really all we see from the outside is teams traveling with nine different people with massive sponsorships and having a ton of money. And that's not necessarily the case all the time. It seems as if that's what Novak Djokovic and Pospisil are fighting for, if I'm correct.
Um, if that was confusing, I'm sorry. Um, you can do more research on it. It's on Novak Djokovic's Twitter page. You can actually look at what they say, and then you can look at comments and see what other people say. I'm sorry if that got a little confusing there, but it kind of is confusing, especially from the outside looking in, because we don't necessarily know what's going on in those meetings. We don't necessarily know what's going on with those players' paychecks. We don't necessarily know what's going on. Um, you know, that's frustrating a lot of people, and I wish I can get an expert on here and really dial in what is actually happening in the world of tennis when it comes to a players association, how much pull they have and how they actually operate things. It's very confusing, but nevertheless, I had to touch on it. I've talked about it a little bit. Sorry if it was confusing, but hey, you can dial it in somewhere too. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about coaching a little bit. We got a a good show next week. There's a little back and forth between two players, two very outspoken players on the ATP tour, and we're going to get jump into that a little bit. The Olympics right around the corner. Opening ceremonies are on Friday and tennis matches start just shortly after that. You can reach out to me or follow me on Twitter at Jacob Sersosmo at Believe Podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. The best sporting event every four years begins this week. We break it down next week. Have fun. Watch the Olympics. Tweet at me what your favorite Olympic sport is. Mine's tennis. Real shocker. See you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.